All right, let's do this. The Chiefs return to action this week. We've got a lot to get into on this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. My name is Farzee Masuki, and thank you all for downloading and listening to the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Hope you guys had a great weekend enjoying Wild Card Weekend. Not the most exciting Wild Card football that we've seen, but man, if we were waiting for one big moment and just showing some patience, man, that was worth it in the end right there. Uh, at the end with the with the Bears and Eagles game, Cody Parkey uh, missing the field goal apparently was blocked. But that way, I mean, in the age of social media where instant reaction is a big thing now, I mean, that was a lot of fun to just follow that night. Everybody went crazy over that. Uh, obviously, the biggest moment from Wild Card Weekend. We'll recap all four games from Wild Card Weekend. The Chiefs know who they will play on Saturday. It is the Indianapolis Colts. They looked really good on Saturday against the Texans to open up the NFL playoffs this postseason. So we'll talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about that Colts matchup. Not too much. We'll save it for Thursday's episode. And, of course, we'll uh, recap all four games. And I've got a play a clip from the Eagles Spanish radio network, the Spanish announcer during Cody Parkey's miss. You are going to want to hear this pretty funny stuff and a great call too. So you're going to need to hear that. Uh, also, we, we are going to do our closing segments on this episode. That way on Thursday's episode, I kind of messed up with the schedule. Thursday's episode, uh, of course, going to be our preview episode, but uh, I fumbled on my end here. Completely forgot the game is on a Saturday, not a Sunday. So instead uh, that way, so you can hear the preview episode as soon as you can. We're going to keep that episode pretty short and to the point. We're actually not going to do the closing segments on that episode. We'll do it on this episode. So going to talk about Nick Foles a little bit and something you'll want to know about his contract and what he earned from this football game. The Packers made the first head coaching hire of the offseason. Also, You're not going to believe what one woman did to a man who she met on social media. All of that and much more on this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Also on this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast, first time we've ever had this person on the the podcast, Vahe Gregorian of the Kansas City Star, columnist for the Kansas City Star. He will be joining us on this episode and we'll take uh, maybe one or two of your questions on Facebook, I mentioned on Monday afternoon that he'll be joining us. So I posted a couple of. Uh, I posted uh, if any of you guys had a question, we'll uh, ask a question or two to Vahe when he comes on the podcast with us. Speaking of guests, got a lot of guests lined up in the next couple of weeks, this week and next week. Uh, of course, I just mentioned Vahe Gregorian from the Kansas City Star. He will be here on this episode this Thursday. Matt Connor from Arrowhead Addict. He will be joining us to help us break down the game between the Chiefs and the Colts. Should be a lot of fun talking to Matt once again coming back to the podcast. And then next week on Tuesday, the 15th, Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest. He will also return to the Chiefs Zone Podcast. And hopefully that week we're going to be breaking down an AFC Championship game at Arrowhead Stadium. Hopefully we're talking about that instead of recapping the season. So hopefully the season is still continuing at that point and we'll be doing more of that AFC Championship preview possibly on Thursday the 17th when Charles Goldman of Chiefs Wire joined us. And again, regardless of the results this uh, Saturday between the Chiefs and the Colts, we will still have Matt Derrick and Charles Goldman 
Uh, again, he's uh, with Chief Swire, which is partnered with USA Today. They will be joining us on next week's episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. So a lot of guests coming your way here on the Chiefs Zone Podcast. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Hit the share button as well. Spread the word with your friends on social media. Speaking of social media, I'm on social media. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. That is our Facebook page. Give it a like. Follow me on Facebook. I will do a Facebook Live video at halftime and after game as we've done for most of the games this year. So again, join me for the Facebook Lives this Saturday at halftime and after the game between the Chiefs and Colts. And if the Chiefs do advance, uh, I may consider doing a Facebook Live video on Sunday between the Chargers and the Patriots. Uh, of course, the Chiefs will be playing the winner of that game if they advance. Uh, and if we got enough people that are interested to to want to hear more commentary from that, then uh, we'll do a Facebook Live video on Sunday as well for that football game. So uh, obviously it's going to be an action-packed weekend divisional round. Uh, if you win this weekend, you're one game away from the Super Bowl. So that is, of course, what is on the line. Very exciting, nerve-wracking, but very exciting time to be a football fan. I know with Chiefs fans, there's a lot of concern. And we'll get into that in just a moment. In fact, we're going to talk about some of that with Vahe Gregorian when he comes on the podcast later on. Uh, but before I forget, twitter.com slash Farzine21. That is my Twitter account. Follow me on Twitter, and you guys can email me as well. Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Look, I, I, I understand. I, I think Chiefs fans are just nervous. A lot of Chiefs fans, I don't want to say a lot, but some Chiefs fans have already written the team off for Saturday based on what they saw last this past Saturday against uh, between the Colts and, and Texans. Listen, let me just say this about the Colts. Because I know a lot of fans have pointed out their strength of schedule and it's not the greatest, and I understand that. But there are other NFL teams out there that have easy schedules. The Colts earned their spot here. Now, on top of that, and I mentioned this last week when I kept getting a lot of questions from people about who would you rather play on the divisional round and in the AFC title game and in the Super Bowl? Well, listen, if I had it my way, I want to play the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Very easy. They're the worst team in the NFL that gives you the best shot at winning in the Super Bowl. Obviously, the Arizona Cardinals are not even in the playoffs right now. I mean, hell, uh, the Chiefs beat the Oakland Raiders twice, uh, most recently beating them uh, in a big blowout, holding them to three points. But you're not going to be playing that quality level of a team. doesn't matter who you play. Listen, a lot of people probably wanted to avoid the Ravens because of their number one ranked defense. They were a one-and-done team this postseason. And listen, you're going to have four one-and-done teams and potentially four more, although the chances of that are are very slim. I think Chiefs fans are forgetting, look, you're now playing the best of the best. Twelve teams are in the playoffs. Eight remain now. Four on each conference. So this is not one of those areas where it's going to be an easy matchup. And listen, the Colts are looking, I'm sure some Colts fans are looking at the Chiefs and saying, Man, that is an easy matchup. The the Chiefs have the 31st ranked defense in the NFL. We should be able to gash through that defense. Yeah, they've got to remember the Chiefs 7-1 and one at home and their one loss was by one point in a 
comeback win by the Chargers, so it's not like the Chiefs are an easy team to beat at Arrowhead. Oh, and on top of that, they've got the guy who's most likely to be the MVP, threw for 50 touchdowns and 5,000 passing yards. So, listen, all eight teams remaining, and even the four teams that were eliminated, all of them have a lot of strengths and a lot of weaknesses. I don't care if you end up winning the Super Bowl. Whoever wins the Super Bowl this year, you can point out their weakness. And I said this on social media as well, and I said on the on the podcast just recently, everybody last year wanted to play the Eagles because they were down to their backup quarterback. Look where that led the Eagles to. A Super Bowl win and that backup QB won MVP. And by the way, he's advanced. I mean, you say what you want about the kick and the field goal. He's advancing. He's now one game away from a, another conference championship game. Everybody thought the Vikings were going to challenge the Eagles in the conference title game. That didn't happen. Everybody thought the Eagles would be one and done. Didn't happen. Everybody thought Tom Brady would prevail against a backup quarterback. Didn't happen. The Eagles were underdogs in all of those games. So, and again, I, I mentioned another great example recently: the New York Giants in both 2007 and 2011. They were heavy underdogs in their playoff games and in the Super Bowl, both times against the Patriots. So it's not like there is an easy team out there. If anything, the Patriots, or excuse me, the uh, the Giants and the Eagles have proven to us. There is no easy team. Now, sure, we've had those situations in the past, like the Oakland Raiders a couple of years ago. They made it to the playoffs, but they lost Derek Carr. They lost their backup quarterback, and they were down to their third-string QB, who, if I remember correctly, he was a seventh-round draft pick. He was a rookie, and that is who they went with. Okay, at that point, look, I, I never, you never say never, but you kind of knew how that game was going to go. And obviously, the Texans destroyed the Raiders in that playoff game. So you you have those moments where you 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 kind of know at that point, but at the same time, and listen, it's not like Nick Foles has never had starting experience before. He's had some significant playing experience before with Philadelphia, with the Rams, and Kansas City, of course, as we know a little bit. So it's not like this guy was completely brand new filling in. I I do agree. Look, I I I picked them to lose also, but to write them off, I think. We definitely should have learned our lesson last postseason. So listen, and again, I'm not saying write the Chiefs off, or nor am I saying write the Colts off. If you're predicting a Chiefs loss, fine, that's one thing. But to just write the team off and and just talk about it like it's already over, you never know in the NFL, man. You just don't know sometimes. How many people thought the Eagles and Bears game was going to come down to the wire? I even said, for, for the sake of picks, when I did my uh, previews last week, I said I'm picking the Bears to win that football game, but I also said I don't know what's going to happen in that game because of Nick freaking Foles. Satan Nick, whatever you guys want to call him at this point, because he's had a lot more playoff success than some of the great quarterbacks that the franchise has had, funny enough. But even so, you just don't know sometimes. Let things play out. I think she, I get Chiefs fans are nervous. I get the home losing streak. Six consecutive Playoff losses at Arrowhead Stadium. That's that's a terrible stat. No one wants to hear that stat about their team. And of course, the Colts constantly have Kansas City's number. 1995, 2003, 2006, and 2013. I mean, you just have heartbreaking losses everywhere there. Uh, 95, you had Lynn Elliott just can't even make a kick. Uh, 2003, not a heartbreaking loss, so to say, but that was a really special season for Kansas City and how they were winning their football games, coming through clutch with their offense. 
uh, with special teams, with Dante Hall, what he was doing. And then 2006, the Chiefs obviously got a miracle to get into the playoffs, but all for nothing when they got destroyed by the Colts. Even though Peyton Manning had a terrible game in that one, Ty Law, two picks against Peyton Manning, but still not enough to come through against the Colts. And then, of course, in 2013, probably the most heartbreaking loss uh, you you had the biggest lead possible, and anybody who doubted the Chiefs rode off the Colts in the third quarter when Andrew Luck opened up the second half with an interception. The Chiefs went on to score a touchdown off that interception, and then the Colts came back to win that football game. So I, I get it. I do. You mix one curse with the home uh, playoff streak, losing streak, and what the Colts have done to you in the playoffs in recent memory— I get it, man, but here's my thing. I'm not a fan of historical trends or historical stats. I think it's always a coincidence. I I mean, let's be honest here. Do you really think what the Colts did in 1995 or 2003 or 2006 is relevant to the moment right now? Speaking of 2006 and 2013, if my memory serves me correctly... I think there's only one player who was on that 2006 and 2013 Chiefs team that's still on the team right now, and that's Dustin Colquitt, your punter. And I'm not—I don't—I don't, I don't want to negate the punter position, but I think we can all agree it does hold uh, the least amount of importance on on a gridiron. Again, not trying to say it's not important at all, but. Let's be honest, it's a position that we look at the least. So for the Chiefs to have all this turnover, and again, if I, off the top of my head, if I'm correct, who you had in 2006 and 2013, only your punter was on those teams. My point that I'm trying to make here is, times have changed. You have Patrick Mahomes. How many games did Patrick Mahomes play in those Colts playoff losses? Zero. 1995, was he born? I don't even know. What year was Patrick Mahomes born? Let me look this up real quickly. I know he's 23 years old. 1995. September of 1995. So he he's at least been alive for all, all, all of these heartbreaking losses in the postseason against the Colts. But the last time the Chiefs and Colts played a playoff game, Mahomes was in high school. Again, the point that I'm trying to make here is the Chiefs have the best young quarterback you could ask for, something they did not have in those games. And again, Matt Castle, uh, well, well, I take that back. Matt Castle never actually played against Cole. I was going to say Matt Castle did have that great year, but that was against the Ravens in the playoffs. Uh, Trent Green, I mean, he had his moments, great moments in Kansas City. But of course, the Chiefs couldn't come through in that one, despite having a good offensive showing. You had Alex Smith, again, who did some great things. And look, I I think Alex Smith should have had multiple playoff wins uh, for the Chiefs. Should have won the Colts game. Should have won the Steelers game. Should have won the Titans game. But should have, woulda, coulda, whatever. I mean, it is what it is. I think this Chiefs team, and listen, some of these heartbreaking losses under Andy Reid, a big part of it is you've got to learn your lesson at some point. Andy Reid has made a lot of mistakes over and over again. And if this is someone not named Andy Reid, if this is 
Vance Joseph, for example, making those kinds of mistakes in the playoffs. I don't even think you even get that many opportunities. Andy Reid has been given a lot of chances here in Kansas City. And if he's not Andy Reid, if he doesn't have the career that he has, he's probably gone after after maybe that second heartbreaking playoff game against the Steelers. So hopefully Andy Reid at some point, he gets it. He knows his mistakes. And obviously those mistakes came back in that Chargers Thursday night game, or uh, uh, Saturday night game rather. Or was No, it was the Thursday night game. I take that back. Last year was a Saturday night game. But Thursday night, I mean, you, you saw what happened there. Not pretty, and some of the mistakes in the past game. And look, listen, this is not the last time the Chiefs are going to blow a lead, and it's not going to be the last time the Chiefs come back. I mean, the Chiefs came back in a couple of games this year. Uh, so those things are going to happen again. Uh, but in big moments like the postseason, where one loss and you're obviously out, you got to get everything together. Hopefully Andy Reid's learned his lesson. Listen, We'll obviously break down the X's and O's, talk talk about the offense, the defense, and the special teams, all three facets, but I'm just going to tell you right now, spoiler alert for Thursday's episode, the big X factor for Saturday's game is Andy Reid. He is the true MVP. He is the most important guy on your football team right now. If he's not conservative and if he keeps firing... I mean, refuse to be complacent at any point. I mean, listen, if you're up by 30 in the fourth quarter, okay, it's over. But at some point, Andy Reid's got to say, look, I know why we screwed up in the past. I know why I didn't win a Super Bowl in Philly. I know why they let me go. I know why I've been given a lot of chances in Kansas City because we've had some really embarrassing moments. So let's fix all of those mistakes. Let's get going. You know what needs to be done. You've got the ability to win. And I don't care how bad this Chiefs defense is. You've got all the reason in the world to go out there and dominate this football game. This defense makes big plays when it matters the most. I I, I can't really put my finger on this defense. But man, this is a defense that just comes through when when you need it the most. Maybe not all the time, but a majority of the time they do that. It's an opportunistic defense. They lead the league in sacks with the Steelers with 52 on the year. I mean, how many times have you seen a 31st-ranked defense lead the NFL in sacks? I don't know if if that's ever happened before. So there are some bright spots on this Chiefs defense. And obviously, there are a lot of great things we can say about the offense. And even without Kareem Hunt, obviously having Sammy Watkins, I think that would really open up things offensively and help the offense expand. We'll see what happens, but... You're going you're gonna to need all the help you can get. And even without Sammy Watkins, this is still a Chiefs offense that can that can do a lot of things under Patrick Mahomes. Again, having Watkins now in the most important time of the year, that would help. It really would. But I still think they can get the job done without him. Now we'll see what happens with that. Uh, we'll have the injury report as the week goes on. Andy Reid had his press conference on Monday. He talked about Spencer Ware. He talked about Sammy Watkins, Eric Berry, and even Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, a player who we haven't really talked about too much when it comes to injuries. And Andy Reid simply said, quote, guys are making progress. Now we'll talk about that as well with Vahe Gregorian when he joins us here on the podcast. Look, Andy Reid's not the one to say much. So I get it. He's not going to give you a, a lot in, in these pressers. And why would you? 
Let's be honest about that. Why would you? But I think at some point, it is kind of frustrating seeing how the Chiefs handled the Eric Berry situation. His injury apparently has resurfaced. We'll we'll, we'll see if he's going to be available and active on Saturday. Uh, Kind of concerning because he hasn't played a lot uh, this year. He only played half of the Chargers game, was still limited in the... Week 16 game against the Seahawks. So we haven't, and obviously he didn't play the Raiders game, was inactive for that one. So this is a guy who hasn't been able to gradually get acclimated back into his all pro form. So I'm not exactly sure if Eric Berry does play on Saturday. Are we going to see an Eric Berry that is still gradually trying to get his feet wet and try to get back to that elite? top safety level status or will we get pro bowl eric berry on saturday i don't know and i'm leaning more towards the former than the latter on that one let me know your thoughts facebook.com slash farzine vasugian twitter.com slash farzine t1 plus my email farzine at farzine vasugian.com we'll talk a little bit more about chiefs and colts with vahe gregorian a lot to get into with him on uh, on this episode of the chiefs on podcast but real quickly i want to go over wild card weekend because uh, not the most exciting, not the most thrilling wild card weekend. Some bright spots here and there. Colts and Texans, very surprised that the Colts took complete control of this football game. Colts were 6 of 6 on third down in the first half. Uh, plus, help from te- the Texans' defense on a holding call on a third down play. So, 7 of 7 if you want to count that. Uh, Houston made it a little bit interesting in the end, but not enough to win this football game. The Colts won 21 to 7. And uh, with that first uh, playoff game in the books, we knew at that point already who the Chiefs would play. A, not a major advantage, but it does help knowing as early as possible who you're going to play. You could put all you, you can forget about the the Chargers and the Ravens. You can put all your focus on the Colts and just get ready for that game a day sooner. So they, it helps a little bit, but again, I don't think it's any significant advantage uh so take that for what that is worth to you Seahawks and Cowboys I thought this was going to be the game of the week I thought this was going to be the most interesting one uh the key moment in this game was Sebastian Janikowski's injury attempting a field goal from long range 57 yards away right before halftime uh look I get it he has almost 50 plus yards field goals in NFL history but he's 40 years old and he's not in the greatest shape either for an athlete he's 6'1 260 pounds and you Got to go out there and swing that leg from from these long distances. Adam Vinatieri recently turned forty six, but he's six foot tall, almost the same height as Janikowski, uh, one inch shorter to be exact. But he's also fifty one pounds lighter, and that's why he's able to still play at forty six years old. Now, both quarterbacks in this game, Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott, tried carrying the team. Uh, Both QBs ran in for a touchdown, but Seattle's rushing game wasn't as good as we thought they would be coming in against a Cowboys fifth-ranked run-stopping defense. Tyler Lockett, K-State Wildcat graduate, the only impact player for Seattle in this football game. Four catches for 120 yards, Uh, but man, uh, Michael Dixon, he replaced Janikowski uh for kickoffs and he did some drop kicks in this game just like he did against Kansas City and I think he also did that against Arizona uh Dixon had to attempt a drop kick onside attempt which obviously didn't go his way at all but that is insanely difficult to do I don't even know first off look I'm not blaming the game on that if I'm a Seahawks fan you there have only been four successful onside kicks this year second of all why don't you just let him attempt a normal onside kick? 
Because, let's be honest, that's probably, I get he doesn't have experience with that, but that's probably still a way easier thing to attempt. Uh, listen, if it doesn't go 10 yards, no one's going to kill this guy, because it's it, onside kicks are still a very difficult thing to execute. Now, let me say this. I will admit, the, the biggest reason I cared to continue to watch that game, I really wanted to see Michael Dixon attempt a game-winning dropkick field goal. That's that, that would have been that would have been worth paying money to watch, whether he made it or not. If he made it, it would have been just insane, and everyone would be talking about it. Uh, probably more than the Cody Parkey miss, but uh, that was the only thing I really cared about. By the way, because they went for two, since Janikowski was unavailable, and they didn't want to go for the drop kick extra point attempt, the Seahawks went for two, ended up losing twenty four to twenty two, which pissed off. A lot of betters in Vegas because the Cowboys did not cover the spread. So uh, if you uh, lost that bet, well, too bad for you. Well, hopefully you didn't lose too much money on that. This one I thought was the most interesting game. The Chargers and the Ravens, uh, similar to the Colts, when really uneventful as the Chargers were getting field goals, had a 12-0 lead at halftime. The Ravens got a turnover and a block punt to try to get back into this game, try to give the offense a better chance, but still the Ravens could not really get back into it until the fourth quarter where they rallied late. Lamar Jackson picked up a lot of steam, had a chance in the end to steal the game away from the Chargers, but Lamar Jackson fumbles in the end, similar to uh, the Chiefs game where Justin Houston stuck around, except the only difference is Butker missed the, uh, the field goal, which sent the game into overtime, but in this case, the game was over once the Chargers recovered that fumble. Lamar Jackson had three fumbles in this game, only lost one of them, and that was the biggest one of the game. Lots of fans were calling for Joe Flacco to come in. I disagreed with that uh, because, look, if you bench if you bench him, then there's questions as to what's going to happen in the offseason and moving to 2019. Second of all, I don't think Joe Flacco was going to get it done. The Ravens were 4-5 and five under Flacco. Flacco got benched for a reason after that three-game losing streak. Plus, with... Uh, with Lamar Jackson, you were 6-1. and one. Your only loss was in Kansas City in overtime, and that was because Mahomes shredded that defense, that number one ranked defense, on fourth down a couple of times. And if Mahomes doesn't do that, well, then maybe Lamar Jackson uh, leads the Ravens to seven wins undefeated as a starting quarterback. So uh, I, I think it was the right call to uh, stick with Lamar Jackson. And look, I, I think the job that Lamar Jackson did in helping them rally back the way they did, I don't think Joe Flacco would have done. So I agreed sticking with Lamar Jackson in this football game. By the way, him winning Super Bowl MVP five years ago, not relevant to 2019's postseason. It just isn't. We're in a different era now. And there's a reason why Flacco got benched, despite being a Super Bowl MVP. I mean, there's no ifs and or buts about it. Last game. Boy, this was the game of the week. Bears-Eagles. Nick Foles really struggled in this game. Had the two interceptions, but both defenses kept fighting in this game. Alshon Jeffrey, former Chicago Bear, and Golden Tate. Amazing games. Golden Tate proving that he uh, absolutely... Uh, uh, made it worth the Eagles' time picking him up. Allen Robinson of the Bears had a hell of a had a hell of a night, excuse me. But everybody's talking about that miss. Cody Parkey, uh, the, the the field goal hitting the upright and then the uh, crossbar. Doug Peterson, of course, icing him with that timeout. He made the first field goal, which obviously does not count. Uh, and again, they're saying it's blocked by a defensive player, and I don't have his first name, but his last name is Hester. Imagine that. A player named Hester makes a big special teams play against the Bears. Who would have thought that? But unreal. Hey, look. I mean, we know about this with Lynn Elliott, right? 
16 to 15, the Eagles win. By the way, here is Ricky Ricardo of the Eagles Spanish Radio Network with an epic call on Cody Parkey's miss. Listen to this. Pie de Cody Parkey. 43 yardas. It's left. Le mete el pie. Distancia, dirección. Le dio el poste. No, falló. Oh. Señor, no, señor. No, señor. No, señor. No, señor. No, señor. Los hijos se van con la victoria. Ay, papá. No, señor. No, señor. Chicago, Chicago. Nos vamos para New Orleans. Philadelphia gana el partido. Le dio el poste. Oh, my God. Again, the guy's name is Ricky Ricardo. And again, that audio clip was from the Eagles Spanish radio network. Uh, look, you don't have to be fluent in Spanish to know what was happening. You could just tell when the moment happened. No, señor! No, señor! No, señor! No, señor! I'm just going to say this. Uh, I, I, this is the first time I've ever heard Ricky Ricardo... Uh, just, just in general, I'm already deeming him a better announcer than 90% of American announcers. I mean, the, the, people get too upset sometimes with, with Joe Buck when he gets too excited. I, I, I guess that's the criticism from a lot of people in Kansas city that, uh, he got too excited for Madison Bumgarner. Okay. What do you want him to do? Just speak in monotone when someone gets a strikeout. I mean, I don't know. By the way, uh, Joe Buck has this weird criticism. I don't know. I don't think people in Kansas City realize this. People in San Francisco thought he was cheering for the Royals. I, I I don't think Royals fans, I don't think people in Kansas City are aware of this. So, for example, Joe Buck did announce the Chiefs and Chargers game a couple of weeks ago on Thursday night. I guarantee you, there was probably a group of Chiefs fans who thought he was cheering for the Chargers and a group of Chargers fans who thought he was cheering for the Chiefs. I mean, and look, I think it's just, hey... When excitement happens, and, and that's why we like sports, because it's exciting. When, when, when good things happen in sports, you get excited. And that's all he did. I, I think sometimes fans just criticize the guy a little too much, but yeah, I, I like the guy. But Ricky Ricardo, uh, hands down, better than a good majority of U.S. announcers. That just has to be a fact. No, senor! No, senor! No, senor! No, <laughs> that is epic. I just love that man, uh, Ricky Ricardo. I mean, that guy has to go into like the Hall of Fame of sports calls ever. I mean, it just has to at this point. Uh, good stuff again. That is from the Eagles Spanish Radio Network. Joining us right now on the Chief Zone Podcast, columnist for the Kansas City Star, Vahe Gregorian. Here with us, been a columnist with the Star since 2013. A lot of great work over at the Kansas City Star with him, Sam Mellinger, and a couple of their new Chiefs beat writers that they got this year in Brooke Pryor and Lynn Worthy. They do a lot of great stuff over at the Star's website. They always have this video cast that they do, uh, I believe, after every Chiefs game. So check it out if you haven't already. And uh, Vahe and I, we, we've, we've talked back and forth on social media a few times, but the first time we've had him on the podcast before, I've uh, been wanting to get Vahe on for uh, quite some time and finally able to do so. And uh, perfect time to do so with uh, the Chiefs and the Colts playing in the divisional round of the playoffs this week. Vahe Gregorian here on the Chiefs Zone Podcast with us. Vai, thanks for uh, taking some time to join us. How are you? Oh, it's only my pleasure, Farzine. Thanks for having me, and, and uh, it's, a, it's an exciting week. It's uh, a week of anticipation. I know 
for Chiefs fans, that comes with a little dread. But, um, you know, as uh, Justin Houston said after the, the, the Oakland game, uh, don't let the past poison the present, right? Let's get on with uh, what's right in front of us. You know, I, I agree with that. And I talked about this before you came on, Vahe. Uh, and by the way, if you want to follow Vahe on Twitter, you can do so V Gregorian on Twitter. It's spelled V G R E G O R I A N on Twitter. Uh, Vahe, I, I, I get it. You know, six home game losing streak in the playoffs, and the Colts just constantly have your number in the playoffs. But. You know, and if I remember correctly, it, the losses to the Colts in the 2006 and 2013 seasons, I think only Dustin Colquitt was on the team. Times change. They do. At, and at some point, even without Patrick Mahomes, I know a lot of people are saying Mahomes could be the reason for this big change, but it's got to change at some point. Well, that's right. It's kind of funny uh, when you when you think of it that way. There's always the question of, um, you know, all things come to an end. Um and it's also, there really is, here's the thing that I've been thinking about a lot this week. You know, the, the feeling of the past is really a thing for all of us to follow the Chiefs in an entirely different way than it is for the Chiefs themselves, right? And you just identify one of the reasons. Um, I don't recall if I looked up this number yet, but it's probably only about five guys, maybe three or four guys, even from 2013, and it's certainly only Dustin Colquitt from back in the, the, the 2006. So you're, you're talking about a situation where it's front and center in our minds. Um, I don't think it plays the same way with, with the teams that play. Now, if you're a team that is um, coming off a bunch of games immediately that, that you know, you had reason to start doubting yourself, then maybe that, that's a little different as it goes into the playoffs. But I don't, I don't think these guys think that way. And, uh, and, and, you know, I know you were leaving Patrick Mahomes kind of out of that part of the equation, but, you know, he is part of the equation. As Mitchell Schwartz put it to a, a fan the other day on Twitter, um, you know, let's remember that last Colts loss. Patrick Mahomes was in high school. Things are a little different now. Um, and obviously there's points of concern and, and, uh, and all that, but I'm not really a guy who believes in jinxes. I have fun talking about that stuff. But the fact is the, the, the game is on the field, and it's uh, this team versus this Colts team. You had a column that came out on Monday morning about Patrick Mahomes in this position where he, after being heavily praised upon and loved all year by everyone in Kansas City, he's now being viewed as this big savior to overcome this pre uh, or not preseason, excuse me, postseason drought. In almost 25 years, Kansas City has just won one playoff game, and that was in 2015 after that one and five start against the Houston Texans in the playoffs. Six straight postseason losses. We, we mentioned that. Uh, yeah, I'm curious. I want to know your opinion on this. Uh, this Mahomes mania, uh, Mahomes craze, whatever you want to call it, it's just been surreal to witness. I still remember seeing that viral video of him walking through KU Hospital, which you uh, mentioned in your uh, in your column there, and just everybody pulling out their phones, just wanting to get a glimpse of him to walk by, whether it's on your Snapchat or your Twitter or Facebook, whatever. Everyone just wanted to post that as soon as they saw him walk by, and just the reaction he's been getting, every charity event that he's been a part of, everyone's covering that. Uh, what do you make of this whole Mahomes mania, and how do you think he's handled that, being just 23 years old? Well, you're cutting right at the spirit of, of what I was trying to write, and, and the thing that's interesting is, certainly so far, no moment has really been too big for him. Now, I do think you know, he hasn't quite said it after a couple of these games, but there have been a couple of games where he had some hiccups early. I do think at the New England game, he might have might have acknowledged maybe he's a little over-amped. 
But um, I think part of what's happening is, of course, we, we have seen so much true brilliance out of them already that, um, you know, we've come to expect that. And then the flip side, of course, is that, that the defense is so glaringly vulnerable that you start thinking, well, it's more likely or more of a, a proper hope, I guess, that you can get Patrick Mahomes to play even better than that you'll necessarily get defensive improvement. And that's probably a little warped. Uh, one of the things about this defense, as much as they've given up points, as much as they've been big factors in their losses, they've also done significant things in their wins. Um, and while they've given up points and yards, they also do frequently produce pressure and turnovers. So, you know, it's not like it really is just up to Patrick, but I do think that it's a, it's a potentially a lonely place that Patrick's in, right? I mean, he's certainly um, in, in this uh, – uh, I don't know how to phrase it exactly, but I think people look at him – I think the term I used was would-be savior, and I think that, that he's handled that well. I do believe he has a whole way of handling these things that uh, allows him to, to maintain his calm. But I do think this is another sort of challenge to that, right? I mean, it's, it's a pretty big stage now. It's different than anything else he's ever been in. One last thing I want to ask you about this whole Mahomes mania deal. Uh, look, when the Royals made back-to-back World Series appearances in 2014 and 2015, a couple of those players, their personal lives uh, it became not just newsworthy, but people actually cared to read about that stuff, such as, you know, who was dating who, who was about to become a father, uh, you, you know, if if, so, if one of those players lost a loved one in their family. I mean, that stuff became news, and people cared to read about that. I know a lot of times when a player dates someone, you you, you know, maybe, whether it's you and the Kansas City Star or another media outlet, you guys will get criticized by some that, that will say, hey, look, stop being TMZ, but the truth is a majority of the people care to read that stuff. Comparing that to Mahomes, Mahomes tweeted about, about uh, losing in a game of Fortnite to a player that wore his jersey. And I know you guys have a guy who writes about social media trends. Uh, and I apologize. Uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, Pete, Pete Gradoff. Yes, yes, Pete Gradoff. Thank you. Yeah, he he, he wrote about that. I know. Uh, I mean, the, the whole catch-up obsession with Mahomes. Uh, you know, wh- wh- wherever, wherever Mahomes is. I'm going to say something that's kind of crazy. I want to know if you agree with me or not, but I honestly think this whole Mahomes mania is actually bigger than the Royals World Series appearances, and this guy hasn't even played a playoff game yet. Would you agree with that, that that he's had a bigger traction than the Kansas City Royals in their back-to-back World Series appearances? I think there's a little bit, uh, a few different things going on there. I think your premise is is right. Um, I think that says a little something about the place the NFL occupies, the place the Chiefs occupy. Obviously, we saw that the Royals can create enormous interest when they're successful, but if you were just looking at it as are there more Chiefs fans than Royals fans, I'd say yes. I'd say the NFL, you know, still resonates a little more in general. And I think another thing that you identify that that gets at this point is that the Royals, one of the beautiful things about those Royals teams, and one of the reasons they created so much interest was partly because of both the – ability for us to get to know them, whether it was fans getting to know them because they're out in the community or the fact that the Royals are much more accessible for interviews than the Chiefs, so we're able to tell more intimate stories and have better relationships. Um, So I think that's part of it. But the other part of it is that uh, Patrick 
while there are certainly outstanding personalities on the Chiefs and interesting guys and people that have certainly flashed a public persona, uh, you know, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Chris Jones, Patrick probably occupied a little different place than everybody else on this team, whereas you could say that about seven, eight, ten guys probably on the Royals, and and then it would be two or three other guys that came through when they when they had to win. So it, it's it's kind of fascinating. I think that for all the reasons you described and a little bit of what I tried to amplify, it's it is correct to say that Patrick Mahomes kind of has a place of his own in all this. Vi, a lot of Chiefs fans this week, ever since that matchup was set between the Chiefs and Colts, I saw on social media a lot of people are mentioning that this Colts team, they didn't quote-unquote play anybody, which I disagree with. They beat the Texans twice since December, almost shutting them out this past weekend, and they also shut out the Cowboys too. Uh, But outside of that, I guess they didn't have a lot of quality wins, so to say, but I think Chiefs fans are maybe trying to take credit away from them. Look, there are only 12 spots in the playoffs, and the Colts earned one of them, and I think the basis, and I get it, fans are always going to pull for their team and put every reason out there, but I think a lot of Chiefs fans are riding on the fact that this Colts team apparently played nobody, and that gives the Chiefs a great chance to win. Although I will say, I think a lot of Chiefs fans said the same thing about the Rams, and we know how that game ended. What is your takeaway when fans point point out the fact that the Colts apparently haven't played anybody? Well, look, um, a couple things here, too. Colts are a good team. Colts are a hot team. Uh, you can only play who you play who's on your schedule. They did what they had to do to, to get to this place, which was pretty meaningful in itself. Um, you know, it's really at this point simply about, you know, not as Clint Eastwood says in uh, one of those great Westerns, it deserves got nothing to do with it. It's, it's who, who you're playing. And, and look, they do deserve it. I mean, I don't mean to make light of that. But the thing I find fascinating is that uh, probably this is the case even with any individual fan feels both, right? You might feel like, oh, boy, I, you know, they're going to beat the Colts. Colts aren't that good. But also, you're going to be thinking it's the Colts, and look what they've done to us before in the playoffs. And and neither of those really is uh, uh, playing into this game as much as the game itself. I mean, I, I know I've said that already, but it, it's it's what really stands out to me. It's it's be in the moment. A couple of questions left with Vahe Gregorian from the Kansas City Star. Look, I know Andy Reid doesn't say much in press conferences, and the Chiefs historically have been that team from a PR standpoint. They're kind of hush-hush on a lot of things, especially with injuries. I mean, look, why would you say so much? But uh, a lot of Chiefs fans are also kind of upset that the quote that I guess he gave in Monday's press conference was that guys are making progress. Vahe, to the best of your knowledge, what exactly does that mean regarding Eric Berry, Spencer Ware, Sammy Watkins, uh, the Canadian doctor, uh, do you have any optimism that a majority of those guys could be active on Saturday? You know, it is a roll of the dice as far as I'm concerned. Um, I don't think Andy would show his cards necessarily if he, if he uh, you know, had certain uh, – let me, let me rephrase that. I think if Andy had certainty, I, I think he'd go ahead and say, Here, here's what we think. But I think the fact that it's still vague to him and he's using generic terms like that, um, I think it, it makes you really wonder. I would, I would think, I guess if I listed them in the order that I think that they will be ready, uh, I would say Spencer Ware. I would say then Sammy Watkins. I think Eric Berry is simply a guess. Uh, LDT, 
hard to say, but they're holding out hope. And, you know, we'll, we'll see about that. I, I, it's just, it's hard to know. I, I, I just don't have a real grip on any of it. And maybe they don't either. Maybe they don't quite know. There's so much mystery with Eric Berry, by the way, um, that anybody that says they think they know what's going to happen. I mean, you just, I don't see how you could, um, you know, and things happen like this, like we learned after the Raiders game, I believe, that Sammy Watkins had been in a boot in the cast, which we hadn't been told before that. But then we keep hearing the word progress. And, you know, if it's uh, in fact true that he was going to be out four to six weeks, as they originally said, then this this is the time he'd be back. A couple of questions left with you, Vahe. We like to go to our Facebook page anytime we have a guest, uh, give fans the opportunity to ask a couple of questions. And we had a couple of good questions uh, that some of our listeners asked. Brandon wanted to know, despite being 31st in total defense, the Chiefs co-led the league in sacks with 52. Indy has allowed the fewest sacks on the season on the season with 18. Uh, something's got to give this weekend. How do you see that factoring into the game? And, and who do you think wins that battle there? I think that's going to be one of the... Uh one of the four or five things that are the most uh, telling stats after the game, and not necessarily sacks, but the pressure itself and containment of luck. Um, uh, you know, obviously the Colts are really good at that, and and it's uh, it's something the Chiefs have done more or less in spurts. Um, it seems to me, I might be wrong about that, but it seems like we've had the multi-sack halves and then go whole games without one. Um, I do believe that they understand by now that. They're going to have to be a little aggressive, um, and they're going to have to, uh, you know, put that imagination to use and may the best man win. I mean, it, it's it's really one of the uh, uh, most fundamental um, indicators of who's going to win this game, though, their ability to do that. Last question, uh, another listener question uh, from our Facebook page. This one's from Kiri. She says the Chiefs have done a good job spreading the football around, and I'll add to that. I, I think she's sp- uh, specifically uh, talking about the fact 12 different players have got a touchdown pass this year for the Chiefs. I know a couple of them may be inactive, and a guy like Sammy Watkins, and of course Kareem Hunt, no longer on the team. But she wants to know, which offensive player do you think will have the biggest impact on Saturday's game for the Chiefs? Well, one of the things, uh, I didn't get to study these stats directly myself, but I did see some headlines about how vulnerable the Colts have been to the tight end. So yeah. naturally, um, you know, you, you, you assume that there's a chance Kelsey could do some damage. That said, um, I think Tyreek Hill, in a lot of ways, is the, the most essential guy in that attack, but not necessarily because of the ball going to him at all times, but how... It, it makes them have to respect him. So the fact they still have those two guys in play um, makes either of them, you know, I'm not really answering the question, I guess, but I think either of them is the obvious choice. Demarcus Robinson certainly has become more reliable. And uh, obviously that play he made at the end of the Raiders game was pretty telling. Tyreek Hill will tell you that Demarcus is the second fastest guy on the team. Of course, always assuming Tyreek's the first. Um, and I think he's kind of come come of age a little bit. So it, it surely there will be some packages and some things that some surprises and some guys you might not expect. But I think at least two of those three guys have to have pretty big games for the Chiefs to do what they need to do on offense. And to go back to what you were saying about the tight ends uh, that the Colts have struggled with, they've allowed more receiving yards uh, from tight ends, 1,234 yards. 
to be exact. And for what that's worth, the Rams are second and the Chiefs are third in that category, but by a wide margin there. So the Chiefs are uh, definitely have a chance uh, with Travis Kelsey in this football game, given uh, the Colts' history this year against tight ends. Vahe Gregorian, columnist for the Kansas City Star. Check out his work over at KansasCity.com. A lot of great work with uh, his columns, as well as uh, what he does with the rest of the Star team over at the Star. Again, follow him on Twitter, at VGregorian on Twitter. Hey, Vahe, appreciate you making time for us. Uh, we look forward to having you back on down the road. We'll keep in touch. Anytime. Thanks for having me, Farzine. All right. Thanks, Vahe. There we have it. Vahe Gregorian of the Kansas City Star. Very busy guy. And again, he doesn't just cover one uh, sport for the Kansas City Star. I know uh, this uh, past weekend he was in Iowa State covering uh, the uh, Jayhawks game. So, I mean, this guy this guy's pretty busy. And, of course, you know, Chiefs aren't playing, so it's an open week. But uh, he's all over the place. He really is. And uh, good stuff. We, we were talking before the podcast. He came to Kansas City in 2013 and spent a lot of his time with the St. Louis Dispatch. So for those of you guys that uh, that are in the St. Louis area, you guys are probably uh, familiar with, with Vahe and uh, some of his work before he came to the Kansas City Stars. So good stuff. And, and uh, a Mizzou guy as well. Big thanks to Vahe Gregorian for coming on the podcast. And again, just a reminder, later this week we will have Matt Connor of ArrowheadAddict.com, editor for Arrowhead Addict. He will join us. And then next week we'll have Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest. And we'll also have Charles Goldman of the Chiefs Wire. Obviously a very busy time. Hopefully good things continue to happen. But a lot of guests coming on the podcast. So if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed and spread the word. Share the podcast links as well. Well, and it should be a lot of fun talking to everybody later this week and next week as well. A lot to get into, of course, with all of them, regardless what happens this weekend. But obviously, if they win, there will be a lot more to talk about. So let's hope for that. Let's hope we'll have those kinds of conversations uh, in the next couple of weeks. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. Okay, this is interesting. We've talked about restructured contracts recently, and I'm going to bring it up again. You will not believe what is in Nick Bowles' contract. He restructured his deal after becoming Super Bowl MVP, and in his contract, it says he can earn $500,000 for playing 33%, one-third of the team's snaps in a playoff game, which happened, and he can earn another $500K if the Eagles win. Nick Bowles made $1 million dollars in Sunday's win over the Bears. Very epic win, obviously. Uh, by the way, he fell short of another $1 million, uh, another bonus he could have earned during the regular season if he played 33% of the team snaps. Now, I don't know exactly uh, how many percent of the team snaps he played, but according to Pro Football Talk, in their report, and I, and I think Adam Schefter shared this as well, he fell just short of that. But man, four playoff appearances Four playoff wins in the last two postseasons, all under St. Nick Foles. Uh, who knows? Uh, we could have an Andy Reid Bowl at this point. We'll see. By the way, the Green Bay Packers, they have made the first head coaching hire of 2019. They hired... Get ready. Hope you're excited. It is Titans offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I had to Google Matt LaFleur. I did not know who he was. The Titans were 27th in points per game. They were 25th in total offense, 29th in passing, 
with Marcus Mariota. By the way, Mariota threw 13 touchdown passes and 15 picks last year. Obviously, they went through a coaching change after that, despite beating the Chiefs in the, in the playoffs at Arrowhead. This year, Mariota threw 11 touchdowns and 8 picks in 14 games this year. Not a pretty stat at all uh, for a guy who was drafted at the spot that he was a few years ago. Uh, LaFleur was the offensive coordinator for the Rams in 2017. And in that year, the Rams were 10th in total offense, 10th in passing, 8th in rushing, and 1st in points per game. I would have been more interested in, and I think more inclined to like this move if LaFleur was named a head coach after that season. But no, uh, instead, that for whatever reason, he ended up following Mike Vrabel to, well, I shouldn't say following Mike Vrabel, but ended up going to where uh, Mike Vrabel uh, became the head coach, uh, being a, an assistant in Houston, and then the head coach uh, in, uh, in in Tennessee. But they didn't have a very good season offensively. So I'm a little unsure as to what happens here. Now, look, I think Aaron Rodgers can make any offensive coordinator look good, similar to what we've seen with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning over the years. But uh, the Packers have uh, had some struggles of their own, despite having the coaching staff that they've had over the years. So... Uh, past couple of years just haven't been very good. Again, I'm not a big fan of this signing. Uh, a, a guy who was 27th in points per game, his offense at least was, and 25th in total offense. I mean, what what was the thought process here that led Matt LaFleur to become a head coach? I mean, at least when the Chiefs hired Todd Haley, he was coming off a Super Bowl appearance. The Eagles hired uh, Frank Reich. He won the Super Bowl. The guy who they verbally hired, Josh McDaniels, he won the Super Bowl as an offensive coordinator. Frank Reich was the runner-up, uh, or excuse me, uh, I take that back. Josh McDaniels was the runner-up OC. Frank Reich was the winning OC last year, winning offensive coordinator in the Super Bowl. So I'm not exactly sure uh, why exactly the Packers made this move, but hey, uh, I'm not the one that's hiring, making the decisions, not the one... Doing the interviews, uh, surely there might have been something behind closed doors that the Packers know that we don't. That's the only thing I can say about that. Speaking of head coaches and uh, interviews and all, the Broncos have blocked teams from interviewing Gary Kubiak. Now, if you didn't know this, and I just actually realized this a couple of weeks ago, uh, Gary Kubiak is still with the Denver Broncos. He is the senior. He became the senior personnel advisor after being fired as the head coach. He wanted to still stay in Denver. The Bengals and the Falcons reportedly want to to interview Kubiak, uh, he was tabbed as a high-level offensive coordinator for teams in 2019, looking for an offensive coordinator. But the Broncos wanted to keep him, and Kubiak reportedly wanted to stay in Denver anyway, according to Adam Schefter. So uh, he was fired uh, in 2016, and after that, uh, he stepped away from coaching due to health issues, but he took a role as an administrator. He apparently wants to stay with the organization, so he seems happy. Listen, Maybe it's one of those deals where he enjoyed his time as a head coach in Houston and in Denver. He got a ring in Denver. He's good with it. If that's the case, given his health, probably wants to avoid the stress that head coaches go through. And add in your health, maybe not the best combination there. And if this is what he thinks is best for him and if he's happy, good for him, man. No need to become a head coach. If you're happy with the job you have and you want to stay in Denver... More power to him and the Broncos for denying these teams from interviewing Kubiak for an offensive coordinator position. Let's go out of bounds. Man, bad news for the Kansas Jocks. Really just a bad weekend on Saturday. 
Kansas lost to Iowa State in a blowout. And gosh, I'm going to eat some crow here because I recently criticized Iowa State head coach Steve Prom and possibly the fact that Fred Hoiberg might be able to return. Yeah, yeah not so much after this. Uh, I think Steve Prom proving that maybe he does deserve the place that he has right now with Iowa State. They crushed KU on Saturday. A lot of criticism about Bill Self trying to make a point, I guess. This team not really playing well. The chemistry is not there. And then on Sunday night, you were hit with some bad news. Yudoka Azabuki is now out for the season uh, due to an injury. KU's three-point shooting has been terrible this year. Just a little above 34%. That's sixth among Big 12 teams. Uh, listen, Bill Self has won a lot of Big 12 titles, 14 straight, if I remember, if I have that correct. And he's won it several times with a new starting five, a couple of times. But never has KU had its back against the wall like it does right now. And listen, that three-game losing streak when he made the Topeka YMCA comment in 2013, I mean, that was pretty ugly. That's not something that you want to see. Uh, I thought that was really bad, but this is a lot worse, man. And, and you, you don't have a losing streak, at least not yet. And I think we're at the point now where we might see KU's streak of wins in the Big 12, uh, or at least consecutive seasons of winning the Big 12, come to an end this year in 2019. And speaking of KU, former KU basketball star Andrew Wiggins in Minnesota and the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, they fired Tom Thibodeau who was the head coach and president of basketball operations for the Timberwolves. By the way, his firing came at a very odd time, just out of the blue, it seemed like, after a 22-point win over the Lakers. So the timing of that is kind of funky. But aside from that, I mean, this this Timberwolves team has really struggled the past couple of years. I mentioned Andrew Wiggins. He hasn't lived up to that hype of being a top-notch NBA player. You bring in Anthony Towns, and he just hasn't really pounded out uh, the way you would like for him to. Sam Mitchell only coached one season uh, for the for the Timberwolves, and they wanted to get him out. Wiggins did win Rookie of the Year, but has not really been one of the best players in the NBA. And again, with all of the hype that came with him, you're just not seeing that in Minnesota. You're not. You saw it in Kansas. And he may have not had great numbers statistically, but that's because he also had Joel Embiid, who was taken two spots after him in the same draft. Joel Embiid, I would say, is having a far more phenomenal career than Andrew Wiggins. And Andrew Wiggins was kind of compared to some of the best to ever pick up at basketball and play the sport. So, kind of interesting. He's yet to be voted in to an all-star game. So, it's going to be very interesting to see how things pan out in Minnesota, what they want to do with their stars. And is there a head coach that can help bring out Andrew Wiggins to his top level, to his top potential. We'll see. It's going to be very interesting. One thing I would really want to touch on here, this bird box meme that's just gone insane viral. Yes, it's funny. It is. But I I, I just have to ask. And people are going to say, well, you must be no fun at parties. But I've got to ask. Why is this a, why is this a meme? Why is this viral? Has there never been a TV show or a movie? Look, I, I, I may not have the, uh, the greatest knowledge of film. And maybe I can't think of a situation like this off the top of my head. But it, was there never a TV show or a movie where a character was blindfolded? I'm confused as to why this meme went viral. And again, I, I can't think off the top of my head if this has ever been a thing. But surely there's been at least a character in some TV or movie where... Uh, the character had either 
a bag over their head or they were blindfolded. Is this the first time in the history of cinema we're seeing this? I mean, I don't know. Uh, and look, the, the memes for this have been crazy. I, people have put this on Bob Sutton's face. People put this on Cody Parkey's face. People put this on, you know, sports fans' faces. Uh, it, it's been funny. It really has been. I, 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 I guess I'm just surprised that I guess we've never had a fictional character on a TV show or a movie that's been blindfolded until now. And it's a big meme. Hey, you know what? The internet always wins in these situations. So uh, I'm laughing, but I kind of have to question that a little bit. If anyone knows the answer to that, let me know. Facebook.com slash Farzine and Twitter.com slash Farzine21. Final segment of the show, let's throw some penalty flags. All right, I, I got to throw a flag here. I, you guys know I'm not the one that likes to criticize officials. And I've always said, I mean, there are plenty of reasons as to why teams win and lose. It goes beyond officiating. But and I, not that I think they had a major impact on games from wildcard weekend. But the NFL needs to get it right if they go to replays. There were three calls that the NFL got wrong on replays. You had the Melvin Gordon non-fumble, I guess is what you want to call it. Where it seemed like he fumbled going on his way down. Uh, Anthony Miller and the 30-yard reception for the Bears. I mean, that was kind of an interesting one. And I, I, I think they got the right call. But I saw in Pro Football Talk that they terribly explained it on the field. And then you also had Derek Watt, who seemed like he had a touchdown, but they called him short, not even at the one-inch line, but even further than that. Look, the NFL's got to get this right. There's a reason why we have instant replay. Referees are not going to be always perfect. We have... The ability to challenge calls for a reason. The, the referees can review it themselves or in certain situations, if able to, coaches can challenge. And if you go to a replay, replay like this, and listen, it's not like other games are happening. So whoever's in New York helping the referee with this call here, you've got to take the time to get this right. And it seemed like the referees and the officiating crew, they took a lot of time in re- reviewing these plays, but still got it wrong. And listen... I'll say this now, expect a lot of bad calls in the Chiefs and Colts game, as well as the other three games that are happening this weekend. Uh, all 32 teams go through this, unfortunately, so it's not like one team has a big advantage over the other, but at least it's not just one team. Everyone's dealing with it. All right, so my mom sent me this picture. She was, I don't know where she was, but she was uh, uh, just shopping. She sent me uh, these earrings that she found, uh, Chiefs earrings. Obviously, you know, earrings come in pairs. She found a pair of earrings. One of them had the Chiefs logo. The other one had the 49ers logo. I don't know if this is like a tribute to all these Chiefs quarterbacks who have played for both teams, like Alex Smith, Joe Montana. That, that Was that the package deal in these earrings? I don't know. But uh, obviously, whoever set that up uh, didn't pay attention. Uh, and I posted that on social media. You guys got to get a kick out of that. Uh, but but how, how do you screw that up? I mean, the Chiefs logo and the 49ers logo, they look nothing alike. I don't know how you do that. Oh boy, this is interesting. Conor McGregor is obsessed with Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather, if you haven't heard, he fought for a Japanese promotion called Ryzen. He fought a phenomenal young kickboxer named Tenshin Nasukawa. Uh, Tension is essentially the Patrick Mahomes of kickboxing right now in Japan. Young, up-and-coming star, 18 years old. He lost to Floyd Mayweather in an exhibition boxing match. 
in which Floyd pretty much crushed him and earned a bunch of money doing so. Now Conor McGregor wants to fight tension. Oh, by the way, I made a mistake. Tension is 20 years old, not 18. But Conor is desperate, man. Yeah, I mean, he, he lost to Floyd Mayweather, and now he wants to be Floyd Mayweather. He just wants a rematch with whoever he loses to so he can cash out a lot of money while he can. Listen, Conor McGregor's on the decline. You lost to Nate Diaz on short notice. And Nate Diaz was the one fighting on short notice. You lost to Floyd Mayweather when you were talking all that smack. Same thing with Habib Nurmagomedov. You got crushed by Habib Nurmagomedov in October. I think Conor is just doing everything he can to milk this before he becomes irrelevant. And good for him. He can make a lot of money, and he loves to spend all the money, so uh, do what you can to get those paychecks while you can. But listen, I hope the UFC just doesn't do what he asks, because it seems like they're allowing him to do everything and anything. Make him fight in the UFC, man. You got your match with Floyd. Now stick to the UFC. Now, if you thought Conor McGregor was obsessed with Floyd Mayweather, listen to what this woman did. Uh, this is very disturbing. Might be the most disturbing thing I've ever read on the show. Uh, a woman in Phoenix met a man from a dating site and after their first date, she apparently sent 159,000 text messages to the guy over the span of 10 months. Now, there were also occasions where she was parked in his driveway without an invitation. She was also inside his home taking a bath while he was out of the country. And she also showed up to his workplace claiming to be his wife. That has to be really awkward and really disturbing. Uh, The man, by the way, uh, his name is not being identified to the public. But the woman's name is Jacqueline Addis, I believe is how you say it. So if you're on any dating sites and you see... Anyone named Jacqueline Addis, stay away from her. Just just do yourself a favor. Uh, swipe left. She is due to appear in court in early February, and she sent some very disturbing text messages, such as, quote, I'd make sushi out of your kidneys and chopsticks out of your hand bones. Another text, I'd wear your fascia in the top of your skull in your hands and feet. By the way, she's instead of and a n d, she's writing the letter n, and instead of y o u r or y o u apostrophe r e, she's writing u r. So kind of what we said about the uh, doctor last week, how she tweets like a loser. Uh, by the way, here's another quote. Uh, this one's gonna scare a lot of people. Quote: Don't ever leave. Or don't ever try to leave me. Dot dot dot. I'll kill you. Dot dot dot. I don't want to be a murderer. There are some really freaky people on dating sites. There really are. you got to be very careful out there. I don't want to sound like I'm your parent or anything, but come on. I think there are still adults out there who, I, I, I don't know, they just get tied into these things. I'll say this. I was on, <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to share this story. I was on a dating site a while ago, and I messaged someone, and she gave me her number within five messages. Now, I'll say this. You could only see her head. You could not see anything below her head. So I kind of had my suspicion if she was not proud of her body, didn't want to show that. Uh, but I'm, I'm trying to get some conversation going with this woman. And uh, I asked her, I said, why did you just give me your number? She goes, oh, you, well, you, did, you didn't want to sleep with me in the first text. So that's why I gave you the number. I was like, okay, that's great. You have low standards. And then as we're trying to get to know each other, she mentioned that she was in long-term relationships with two different men. 
Uh, not at the same time, obviously, but one of them, uh, one of them, uh, I guess, uh, well, I guess both of them swore that they would propose to her. I, and knowing what I know about this woman, I think there are reasons why they didn't propose, but, uh, she, she knew I was Middle Eastern and I guess one of her ex-boyfriends was also Middle Eastern and, uh, she assumed that I was Muslim just like him, which I'm not. Uh, and I, I, I guess they had, con- he, excuse me, she and her ex had a conversation that if they ever have kids, they were going to be Muslim. And so she asked me, she goes, if we have kids, what religion do you want them to be? I haven't even met you yet. I don't even know if you're real. And by the way, this is actually my first time exchanging numbers with someone on a dating site. So, and this, by the way, this was like a year after the whole Manti Teo thing. So I'm on my toes, man. I'm not buying into anything so easy. I mean, I mean, she she has very limited shots of her body in her pictures, so I know she's hiding something. And honestly, looking back, I think that person was a catfish attempt. So uh, now I, I've met a couple of other women through dating sites, and they end up being normal people. So, uh, but you've just got to, I guess, do your due diligence when you talk to someone before you even exchange numbers, because. Apparently, you've got people who talk about kids before even meeting for a first date. So, there's that. Uh, Just one of the uh, very strange moments I come across in my crazy life sometimes. There. You guys know a little bit about that. Big thanks to Vahe Gregorian, columnist for the Kansas City Star. Check out his work, KansasCity.com. Follow him on Twitter, at VGregorian. Big thanks to you, the listener. If you're a new listener or if you've been listening and you haven't done it yet, hey, hit the subscribe button. It's on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Also on Podbean as well. So check that out. And again, share the links on social media. Helps the podcast out. You guys have been killing it with the viewership lately. A lot of people listening over the past couple of months, and I appreciate all of you guys doing so. Uh, the team success is a big part of that, so hey, uh, you'll take it when you can get that. So a big thanks to you guys for downloading, listening, and spreading the word. Social media, talk to me on there. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. I am on Facebook. Give it a like. Follow me. We'll do our Facebook Live videos on Saturday at halftime and after the game against the Colts. You guys can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21 and email me Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. This Thursday, we will do our wild, or excuse me, not wild card, divisional round preview. We will do our predictions there. We'll also do our Colts and Chiefs breakdown. Of course, that will take place on Saturday. Plus, Matt Connor from Arrowhead Attic will be joining us as well. Well, that'll all be this Thursday on the Chief Zone podcast. Again, thank you to you guys for listening to the podcast. I will talk to you in just a couple of days. Breaking down the big game. Can the Chiefs come out victorious? We'll talk about that on Thursday.